Hello and welcome to What Most People Think. Just a quick cold opening, as they say in the business. Um, I've got Simon Evans as a guest this week. Simon uh, was ended up uh, being a bit later into London than he thought, so he was on the move. So there might be a little bit of background noise, but don't don't be a sound queen about it, all right? Just stick with it. As ever, Simon's got loads of brilliant insights. So uh, let's get into it for this week's episode of What Most People Think. What Most People Hello and welcome to episode 167 of What Most People Think. And you're speaking to me, you're listening to me. I'm a very proud man this morning. Bit of a hero, got up and the smoke alarms were beeping, you know, and they need a new battery. Now, it's one of those things that you could let, you could let slide for a couple of days even, just hope it'll go away. But no, by 8am, I'd been up the co-op. I got three of those little square batteries. I was up on chairs and I'd for yeah, calm down, ladies, uh, because already taken. I know this is the kind of thing people don't realize. This is the kind of thing that women want is men who fix, fix and build. What, what, a, what a bold preposition to start the show, and also on which to bring in our guest returning co host, big friend of the show, is Simon Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm very, I feel kind of seen by that introduction, Jeff, because that's a major point of contention in our household. How many what she calls man jobs my wife does. I mean, are you are you not are you not weighing in as much as you should be? I'm afraid I probably am falling short on that. I I did take the smoke alarm down recently, and I did buy the new nine volt battery for it, and I did insert it into the smoke alarm unit. But the actual smoke alarm unit remains on the kitchen surface. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, he's getting them, but getting them back. I mean, God, this is a way to start an old fart. Episode. I mean, if there was if there was any chance that this was uh, this was a week where I managed to snaggle some younger, sort of trendy, maybe even female <laughs> listeners, uh, I think for female listeners over a certain age, they'll uh, they'll be invested for one reason or another. But um, but these are the things that matter. This is what most people think, you know. While the 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 debate that rages on in certain circles is about smashing the glass ceiling, a lot of women would like a guy that could just help out a bit around the house. <laughs> Climb up the, the step ladder and break the ceiling for them. <laughs> that was a good. One. There you go. This is how stand-up happens, ladies and gentlemen. If, on, on Simon's tour, if you'd see him doing that, just remember the fires uh, that this were forged in. Um, always when I have comedians on, I think particularly since uh, lockdowns and stuff, I always ask people how their gigs have been recently. If there's there been any weird ones? Because I think human behaviour hasn't quite gone back to normal yet. I, I would. I would say. Well, I've, I've done a couple of tour dates recently and they've been very nice, but it is always a worry whether they'll come out, although it's bloody rail strikes at the moment or, as, yeah. uh, you know, the, the new lockdown, aren't they? Um, I think people are broadly speaking back to normal. I did the, the Great Unleashed Comedy Club a couple of weeks ago and that had a very healthy response. Hmm. Um, some of the more provincial ones where the folks are a little bit older, there's still a few people wearing masks, which you, it's a bit like seeing those little patches of snow that have never managed to quite catch the sunlight, isn't it, in the garden, you know what I mean? I should say, if people are getting a bit of what they would call in the sound production game ambience, that's because you're you're doing this. Uh, you're in a you're in a coffee house at the moment. It looks like quite a posh one. It's called Olay and Steen. I've just taken a picture of one of their offers for the deli counter, which is uh, new potatoes chopped up and on rye bread, and that's six quid. If you'd like a, a sort of triangle of rye bread with some new potatoes, mayonnaise, and chives on it. I mean, what kind of, I mean, would this be seen as sort of like a free sample size in any other part of the country? No, it's about the size of the largest iPhone, I guess. 
about that size six quid I mean this is one thing uh, one consequence of the inflation and and cost of living is that I don't know what's expensive anymore I I just I I mean guess what I paid for a pint I'd go 18 quid I I don't I don't know I think what you have to recognise in central London I have just come straight out of Victoria Station this isn't right here it's SW1 so it's expensive real estate and that's what you pay for isn't it 90% of the cost is to buy yourself a bit of elbow room, you know, and obviously I've selected this one so it gets a nice ambience for your podcast. I mean, the, the thing about this kind of podcast is they're only going to get one half of this conversation. So um, I, don't, I don't know if you can be cancelled from a coffee shop, but let, let's see how we do. Um, I, di- I did some gigs on Friday. So I was doing some club gigs at the moment just because the tour's finished and, and also, you know, trying to work up some new material. But what happens is you think, I'll oh, do the, the odd bit of new stuff. And I did a gig in Warrington that was so rough and ready um, that I was very quickly doing, doing my club material from like 2009. Uh, I yeah. went, it was amazing how quickly I ditched all the sort of pretenses of having a kind of vibe or a USP. I just strapped on the it's battle like armour. It's, like, it's like finding yourself in a pub fight and all that the six months of Brazilian jiu-jitsu that you've done yeah, goes yeah. out the window and you're resorting to your headbutts. I was just windmilling and headbutts. I, I, I mean, I don't even know how how the fuck I remembered some of these routines. But have you ever done that when you just you start a oh, new yeah. routine, an old routine? And you think, well, I hope that my brain throws up the punchline for this. Usually does. And I'd say that as somebody whose memory is proving extraordinarily unreliable in all sorts of other situations now. But muscle memory seems to kick in with an old routine, doesn't it? And lines just come out of your mouth without having really flashed up on the screen beforehand. It's extraordinary. And you just remember them. Oh, yeah, that's why. That was funny. Yeah. I stuck one in the other day. I was doing a routine about my dad and his gardening. And I promise you, I said a line as it occurred to me. You know, I really mm. hadn't had it. It wasn't lined up in the in the the hopper. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't in the clip. I mean, one of the one of the dangers <laughs> is that the the punchline rests on a sort of topical premises that premise that's now outdated. So, uh, one yes. of the routines that I brought back uh, was about. It was basically about why people are having less kids, and the punchline essentially was, "Well, yeah, but you never had Sky Plus." And that was before pre-streaming services, Amazon Prime, before a load yeah. of other ways that you could waste your time. I mean, luckily the audience were. I mean, look, it was in Warrington. I think I think they only just got Sky Plus in fairness. So all the other At least stuff. you didn't go that that was before women had jobs or something like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, one of my only two question time appearances was in Warrington. And how was it? It was it was hard work. I'd I'd, I'd previously been on in. Um, Bury St Edmunds, which was very much in my in my comfort zone, very much yeah. middle of the bat for me. That Bury St Edmunds front row, full of red trousered farmers, Warrington <laughs> Runcorn, the nation's uh, most central location. I seem to remember they were advertising it as on the tube twenty years ago when it was a sort of uh, new town development, yeah. and they they kind of gave you the impression that it was uh, that that was the natural centre of the United Kingdom. Warrington, but uh, it didn't feel like that when I got there. <laughs> <laughs> So the main talking point from uh, last week's episode, uh, mm. Super Patreon David Domain that keeps an eye on the big themes of the show. I was saying right. basically my idea uh, was that when Labour got in in '97, it was a real, it was a real, it was a real half folly. You know, the economy had been growing, uh, the Tories had got inflation under control, and uh, one thing that is forgotten, I can't remember it. I can't remember if I mentioned it this week, is that a lot of the good things in the 90s actually happened under Tory rule. I'm not saying it was their responsibility, but like Euro 96, uh, Oasis at Nibworth. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't feel like part of the the major years, does it? (laughs) 
<laughs> Oasis at Nebworth feels very much like part of Tony's Cool Britannia, doesn't it? But, yeah, uh, it's 96. The, the well, you, tricks. well, you could say that the moment uh, Blair got in, the music started, uh, the quality started to plateau. And by the end of the 90s, you had yeah. bands like Baby Bird, Menswear and Denswim that were a pale imitation of sort of like the pioneers like Blur, yeah, Oasis yeah. and Suede. But, you know, not that I ever, not that I always find tangential ways to just discredit new labor but but it is, it, is, it, 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 it is odd isn't it to to think that you know what they'd done was they they basically got inflation under control and handed over a, a growing economy um you know and who knows that may be what happens next well it's I, I don't know whether it's why you thought that but of course a lot of people saying is is has this ridiculous row over the 45 percent tax thing being Liz Truss's equivalent mm. of dropping out the ERM and uh you know, the uh, the catastrophe Black Wednesday or whatever it was and uh, sort of interest rates hiking up to 14%, everything, panic on the streets. I mean, I think it would be absurdly unfortunate if it was that. I think I think Truss's uh, catastrophe was one of bad messaging. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, dropping the 45% tax mm. bracket uh, and she just failed to explain it properly. But it would be similar Timing in that respect. As, as well. Yeah, but it would be similar in that respect in that the parliament would have another two years to run in which, you know, they would be, the result would be baked in, you know, and I suppose that's what, what the similarity is, right? Yeah, yeah, and we can look forward to Major's, some, some... Major's greatest mistake was winning in uh, in 1992. There's no question about that in my mind. That was a catastrophe for the Tory party. <laughs> they should definitely have lost in 92. Uh, Kinnock would have come in. He would have had an awful time, ninety two mm. to ninety seven, and the Tories would come back in in ninety seven, and uh, they would have remained in power ever since. It does feel like that's a very sort of football manager thing to say. It would have been a good election to lose that one. A good election yeah. to lose. You know, where you, where you get knocked out of the cup because, but you really have got a lot of uh, congested league fixtures coming up. Um, yeah. Let's say hello to some new patrons. We've got a couple of new board members. I don't know if you know about this, Simon, but uh, there's a new tier in my Patreon, which is uh, £20 and above. Uh, they're board members. They get consulted on all the big decisions. And uh, we, I've got to mention Paul Fern or Fian. Paul Fern, who was already a patron, is now a board member. So Karen will bring you some pastries. Uh, into your corner office there, Paul, and they have anything you need with it. The masseuse will be round at about midday. I don't think that happens probably in the modern uh, uh, office place. I mean, you get the occupational therapist. Do you remember, were you ever doing a job where an occupational therapist would get paid a salary to just come around once a year and go, he needs a new chair? I don't remember that happening, no. I do remember uh, telephone sanitizers, which which featured in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I always thought it was a joke, and then they did actually do a tour of our office one day cleaning the handsets or the, the landlines oh that was a real job was it that was a real job they came in with wipes and cotton buds and they made because apparently a lot of germs lurk in the uh and actually if you look at them they are pretty bright what they used to be i don't even know if people still have landlines do they probably not but they did if they'd have just hung on till covid yeah. you know because I bet, I bet all the Y2K pricks were so smug for a while but if they'd have just if they'd have just toughed out sort of 25 years <laughs> um, we also got uh, Kevin Thorne I think is a uh, Kevin has also become a board member here so we've got we, I mean the board the board is quite smoky and male at the moment you know it's it's great to have so many fellas there I think there's only two board members and there is uh, a decision that I'll be coming to you uh, very shortly about how the podcast is run so do uh, stay tuned for that we've got a new VIP patron who's David Allen and as you know someone we often speculate on who these people are based on their names but every Every so often the name is so unbelievably English that it just really doesn't offer, 
much. I, David Allen, I reckon. Dave Allen. Dave Dave, Allen. Well, David Allen, yeah. <laughs> but he, but I reckon David Allen. I was talking to my wife the other day about like those guys that that are boring, way too young. Like you know, you know, one of those guys that you just knew as a mate in school in, in up to the age of sixteen. And then you see him like 15 years later and he's just such a tedious prick. He's just like, no, you know, I just, yeah, we just calmed down, we settled down and, yeah, we just, uh, I don't, you know, I don't really want to go <laughs> into town. You shouldn't be speaking about your VIP patrons in this place. No, no, they all get, this is part of the, the deal is that <laughs> they get rinsed. So David Allen, that's what I'm going to say. At school, you were a bit of a laugh and then by the age of 30, you were tucked up, two kids, uh, and your idea of a raucous night out was, was quiz night at your local. Isn't there, I might be wrong, I think there's a famous book about sort of time management and called Getting Things Done that's written by a fellow called David Allen, mm. all about organising your, your, your index cards and your filing system. I mean, Does that, that sound is, about that right? That's classic David Allen, that. <laughs> okay, let's do the thank yous and the fuck yous. So I'll take the thank you this week. I went to my son's primary school. Uh, they had the circus in town. And it was it's a fundraising thing for the school. And it was it was amazing, really. In the grounds of the school, they just had this big circus and it was called Mr. Happy Circus. And, and, and these kind of circuses still tour the UK, but now obviously they're not allowed to have lions anymore <laughs> or, or elephants. <laughs> you know, pull, 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 pulling them around in a U-Haul out of the back of their car. They sort yeah, of have to yeah. have talented people. And it was a real interesting mix, Simon, between sort of low and highbrow. There was um, there was like two quite attractive young women that could like spin around on rings and, you know, do all this stuff, something that you might see on a Britain's Got Talent um, thing. But then the guy doing it also had some very old school patter. And I think as a comic, you'd have enjoyed it. He was sort of doing innuendos, one of which was, uh, he went, oh, I could do with a mint. I would, I'd love to suck a fisherman's friend. And just <laughs> had sound effects nice. with it. As, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then if he was trying to get the clown guy to pull something off, he was like, oh, to tug a bit harder, get a good grip on the end. I mean, he wasn't like camp, but yeah. he was sort of doing camp innuendo. And well, it's, it's the best kind of innuendo, isn't it, for kids, probably? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was. I mean, like, you know, say it went over the kid's head. I'm, I'm not sure it did. Some of it was so on the nose. I think they're going, well, that's about dicks, isn't it, Mum? That's definitely about cocks. <laughs> I remember going to see Zippo Circus, is the one who used to come down to Hope Lawns. Hasn't been there for a couple of years, obviously. Well, I say obviously, but he hasn't anyway. They had protesters out the front about the animal cruelty that was involved in the circus when I took my son there and he, he got like the, the leaflet and he was worried that he mm. was going to be seeing some sort of bear baiting. The only non-human participants in the whole thing were budgery guards that had been trained <laughs> to run along a little <laughs> I don't know whether the protesters had done their research or whether he, whether it had just worked. Maybe after several years they had decided to retire the chimps and the horses, but... Uh, yeah, I what were the budgery guards running along? What was their trick? They could drop along, jump along a little perch, and they could go on a on like a hamster wheel, and they could, you know, they could fly, they could be juggled and stuff. I don't yeah. know. I can't remember it. It was he was the ringmaster who had the budgery guard trick. He was quite famous, I think, in circus circles. He was quite an old man. He looked a little bit like Nicholas Parsons or something in a sort of ringmaster's outfit. He just had loads of budgery guards all over him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to still have livestock, at least make it the good ones. Budgery. I bet yeah. he thought, oh, a budgery guys. There's no way these animal rights pricks are going to. I'm never. I'm never going to be on their <laughs> radar. This is far. 
Do you know what was funny was he also had uh, one of the acts was an Italian lady called Deborah who did a, a genuinely impressive um, balancing trick on on a on a on a like a BMX bike. It, it was incongruous, but it was good. And then at the end, when he was giving his thanks to to all the performers, and he said, "Give it up for her, give it up for so and so, give it up for Deborah. She's not in the room now. She's back selling popcorn outside in the refreshment stand. But make some, let her know." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Have you, have you got a fuck you this week? Is there something you want to get off your chest? Well, the thing, the single thing. I mean, I could try and be funnier about it, but honestly, the thing that has annoyed me most this week has probably been the mermaids thing. You know, the mm-hmm. uh, the latest revelation about them offering. Uh, significant interventions directly to children behind their parents' backs and encouraging them to, uh, you know, to take measures and take steps um, without, at the age of 12 or 13, without uh, having, without their parents being aware and, you know, somehow maintaining their charitable status. I hope this is the beginning of the end for them. I wish in a way that I'd had the courage to speak out against this sort of thing a bit earlier, but you could never be quite sure who was on whose side and some people who seem mm. to be on the anti sort of mermaid side did seem to be slightly over obsessed with it. I'm beginning to feel very bad about the way our whole community has treated Graham Linan, for instance, mm. you know, over the last four or five years. And um, yeah, I'm just really starting to feel a, a degree of, of like nausea really about, about how, how, I mean, if I found out that somebody had been briefing against me to my kids behind my back, that would be, so let's do a bit a of unpacking because I'm not fully up on this. So mermaids are a, a sort of pro-trans or, or they what they yeah. would describe themselves as pro-facilitating kids going through gender dysphoria. Yeah, they they just they talk happily about trans kids as if that's not up for debate. That term, you know, mm. they are trans kids rather than kids currently going through some yeah dysphoria or whatever. And um, and there is evidence is emerging of the degree to which they are happy to conspire basically with kids and encourage them to take steps, not not full surgery without maybe telling the parents, but you know uh, significant measures, binders as they call them, these kind yeah. of weird um, sort of heavy duty constrictive corsets. That uh, I mean, I just find the whole thing really quite alarming and, and and sickening and 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 i just think it's terribly wrong and i just cannot understand how they even how they're even legal let alone i think that name is just so sinister mermaids you know this kind of mm. weird fantastical you know uh disneyfied conceit this 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 uh superficially attractive glamorous sparkly underworld fantasy that uh that, is, is used to package a series of measures that, that, that can be just lead to irrevocably awful sterilizing and castrating kids. And now, thankfully, the, the huge weight of public opinion is coalescing and people are being reassured that, yes, everyone does. Most people do think this, you know, to use your phrase. And, um, uh, and we're, we're, we're not going to be just bullied and coerced into silence. What do people think? Because I've I've often thought like if you were trying to go for a mainstream position, is that I think you know certainly surveys suggest that if someone wishes to identify as another gender, people are, are, are happy to entertain that and, and as best as they can, sort of refer to them in in that way. You know where perhaps like gender critical and public opinion might diverge is is if someone is fully sexually transitioned. Now I understand that it doesn't change the fact you went through puberty as a man or a woman today, but is there you know like they're so close as damn it that that most of society might just say, well, to all intents and purposes, you are yeah, you know, we'll treat you as that sex, maybe save for one or two contexts. 
I think, I think you're right. Obviously, yeah, like uh, trans women in sport and so on. That's a slightly different matter. I think that's what, what I mean. Yeah. Say with some, what, what you can say with some confidence is that most people think now that they're aware of what the discussion is, that children should not be groomed or cultivated or or steered towards irreversible or severe interventions without mm. their parents' knowledge. I think I think we can all agree on that. I say all, yeah. obviously we can't all agree because that's exactly what mermaids think is okay. And mm. I think the the emergence of evidence that there is that there is a, 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 a I, I'm quite happy to use the word sinister mm-hmm. enclave of, of individuals of activists who are encouraging children and believe that their parents' attitudes might be essentially sort of primitive, Neanderthal, uh, uninformed and and, uh, archaic in their Mm. bio-essentialism, that they need to be excluded from the conversation and that the the children need direct access to the uh, procedures that will enable them to live as deep in the the gender identity that they believe themselves to have. I'm quite happy for... uh, I'm quite happy. I'm still a bit sceptical, but I'm reasonably happy for... I don't know, a 14-year-old girl to ask that she be addressed as a, you know, treated as a boy in class mm. and, and dress as a boy and cut her hair as a boy and uh, wear, wear boy uniform, if that makes her happy, you know. But anything more than that, I think the parents absolutely have to be involved, you know, and I would strongly urge them to to do a lot of reading beforehand and, and investigate the evidence suggesting that this is this can very often be a... A transitional phase, you know, a passing phase. I mean, it sort of speaks to the politics at the moment is where, you know, that debate is always a heavy debate where I can legitimately say, well, let's let's lighten things up by talking about the Conservative Party. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're recording this on Monday evening. It's the day uh, of... The big U-turn. So Quasi mm. has come out, and it seems that it, the trust basically brought the hammer down. But the forty-five p tax rate uh, has gone. So we will get to that. But just to, just to begin, with, I'm just interested what you thought about the mini budget overall. You sort of alluded to it, but I mean, my big one. I don't know how you feel about this. Was corporation tax could not? I mean, what was it going to go to? Twenty-four percent or something from nineteen percent. I mean, that had to not happen, right? Yeah, I, I don't know whether they had like a more detailed um if they didn't really show they're working out did they <laughs> you know what mm. I, mean? I think this was the problem i think this is why the markets were, were panicked they weren't shown is it the obr or whatever who come out with yeah. the uh you know office of budgetary reconciliation whatever it is who, who demonstrate the wisdom of these things there's there's it's still highly disputed that the laffer curve idea that if you lower tax rates in some respects you would attract more inward investment you end up getting more revenue mm. even though the rates are lower but um i think the general principle that uh trust and quarting were aiming for at least claimed to be aiming for that they wanted to encourage growth rather than redistribution and rather than simply you know continue to expand the welfare state and and just like endlessly row and dispute over who gets what slice of, of which pie. I absolutely endorse that, you know, and I think, I mean, productivity has been the greatest problem that this country has faced for the last probably 30 years. I don't think mm. it's, it's kept pace, even with places like France. With the 45p budget, one, one of the things I thought about that announcement was that um, it got gasps. Um, it got gasps in the room of Tories. I would say if you announce something in a budget and it get 
gets gasps off Tories. That's like, you've been in writing rooms. If you say a joke that's so dark that other comedy writers go, whoa, 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 Simon. That's a bit much, mate. Takes a deep breath, yeah. Yeah, yeah, ask you to leave the room and have a little think about what you did. I mean, it just, it was, I just don't think, and I, you know, it's worth saying that there was no 45p rate until you know, after the credit crunch and, and Gordon Brown introduced it. So in our relatively recent past, that didn't exist. But similarly, there wasn't much noise coming from anybody about getting rid of it. It was a, it was a strange rabbit to pull out of the hat. I mean, no, no one was sort of, there wasn't much appetite for rabbit. Which one are you talking about, the 45%? The 45p, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I think it had been discussed. It doesn't really work. It, it wasn't a very, you know, the whole tax code around that area is not very coherent. It doesn't, it doesn't function in a very linear fashion. You know, there are overlapping um, benefits and, and liabilities as you, as you proceed up through the, the earnings. And I have to say, probably as well, realistically, I doubt many of those people are simply paying income tax in a straightforward manner anyway when you earn a certain amount. You know, they all probably mm. have their offshore funds and what have you. Um, it, it, I mean, the thing about it is it wasn't it wouldn't have been a huge amount of money one way or the other either. It's just the optics. And I think when you've got an optics problem, you've probably got to spend a bit more time and energy coming up with a good way of selling it. I think it would have been mm. perfectly reasonable. But the other problem she has, of course, is that she's been elected as, as prime minister, but she's inherited an 80 seat majority that was won by very specifically by Boris Johnson, not just by the Tory party, but by Boris Johnson's mm. vision of it. You know, uh, I mean, that was obvious when you look only two years previously, 2017, May couldn't even win a working majority, right? Had to cut all sorts of weird mm. deals in order to, to maintain government. So to come in with Johnson's majority and then not and then not govern in the style of Boris Johnson, that might be dubious as well. I don't know. I think there is probably a lot of creaking and groaning going under the strain there. She obviously appeals to a certain faction of the Tory party, but probably not. For instance, you know the Red Wall or whatever. You know, the, no, no, the I mean, Johnson, that historical, you know, majority. Well, that was the thing. You know, we were told that this this Boris Johnson government is going to be the most right wing, but that was absolute bullshit because their spending pledges had already been said that they were. Uh, uh, sort of reckless by the Institute for Fiscal Studies at the time. So it was a big spending uh, manifesto. Yeah. One of the issues with the Tories is, and this has happened in their most recent past, is that um, they've often allowed, they've they've got all the bad press for doing the wrong thing, inverted commas. So whether it's free school lunches, so they'll get the maximum publicity for doing the wrong thing. And then the point where they U-turn is almost at the point where it's going to be the least, like everyone now knows, everyone thinks, you know, there's, sort of reverse Robin Hood analogies being being made. And is that how can that span two different administrations where they don't realise that if you're if you're gonna U turn, you either do it sort of quickly or or you tough it out because it's sort of you feel like potentially they've got the worst of both worlds. I'm sorry, can I just check is it is is the sound there's a load of chair screens uh, going on. It's not bad like, at all. It's not bad at all. You're yeah. fine. Okay, that's good. It's, it's, Folks doing my head in, but that's just me here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah the um, the way the press, you know, the way the messaging and the way the communications is done, I think it, it probably does infuriate anyone who wants to see the Tory party do well. But of course, there's a load of people on the left who think that the press give them a free ride. You know, it's, it's extraordinary how we all live in the same world and yet see two completely different sides of that. I think there is something to be said for, um, for holding out. Um, and, and continuing to hold out, and there's almost nothing worse than like just waiting until you you've obviously been, you know, persuaded simply by the court of public opinion, which is yeah the worst of both worlds. But on this occasion, I suppose the difference is unlike the yeah um, 
the free school meals thing and the uh, with with the uh, the football. I can't remember his name now, but Rashford. Uh, Rashford, yeah, Marcus Rashford, all of that, which was obviously like uh, a sort of public swelling of of sort of you know angry mums. This is actually internal. This is like something that's fractured the Tory party itself at every mm. level, you know. And so it isn't really quite the same as just uh, trust making a, a, a determined effort to kind of see it through. You know, it's it's it could it could have um, literally torn the party in half. Just for the podcast, Simon has had to relocate to the street because uh, the <laughs> staff. I don't know if it's because of the things that you were saying, perhaps, or the fact about, that they were shutting about soon. About the potato on rye. But, <laughs> it, yeah, it was that. Definitely nothing to do with the trends or the politics. Um, no, I don't think it was that. There was, there was a point last week where, as all this was blowing up, um, a lot of key pundits were sort of saying, just got off the phone with the Tory minister who says this is he's going he's gonna to jump in a river. Just got off the phone with a backbencher. Do, do, do you ever... I mean, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. Do, do you think that those, all, those phone calls all happened... Because there's a point where social media is beating up on the government, where you just think you could say anything now. You could say, "I just got off the phone with a tramp who was kicked in the head by Quasi Quarting for a laugh." I just, I'm sorry. I mean, I don't want to be like Tim Four Hat, but I just got this whiff of like, I don't think a lot of this is happening. No, I agree with you. There was another one, wasn't there, when there was a woman on Question Time saying my mortgage has gone up from two percent to ten percent overnight or something, and you just think, really? Oh God, Mm. he's here again. He's packing up these chairs now. <laughs> Hang on a second. You're being pursued for your beliefs. I might, I, I'm considering leaving this in because I think it's a nice narrative thread to the shows. So. <laughs> and man, this is this is this is what happens when you dare to speak outside of the group. Think this is right, exactly. I'm like, I'm like the Toby Young of my generation. <laughs> you just end up sitting on a fucking wall. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be silenced. I'm going to find a nice muse. Um, yeah, I, you, a lot of these people, I mean, they go, senior Tory has said to me, and then you think, well, of course, the thing about senior Tories is speaking off the record, a lot of them didn't want trust, did they? A lot of them furiously didn't mm. want trust to begin with. So, you know, it's you've got to bear in mind that they're not necessarily, they might seriously exist, but they're not necessarily people who've put their faith in, in trust and have been horrified to see that, you know, she's not up to the task. They might have been people who were adamantly against this course of action expected it to happen and lo and behold it has happened and has triggered this kind of overreaction in the markets and they're delighted that all their all their greatest suspicions have been proven correct you know i don't think there's necessarily such a a kind of uh they haven't been driven to some kind of extraordinary um atypical uh, breach of, of convention and, and decorum by by denouncing her. I think many of them are, are absolutely delighted in the opportunity to do so. Well, I mean, let's be honest. Being out of office is one thing, but being proved right in the medium to long term, is, that's delicious. Yeah. That, you know, you're, you're yeah. sacrificing. I mean, I, I once said that that, um, that is the most noble death for the Guardian reader is to... Sort of uh, to sort of plant to, to sort of die, but being able your last words being able to be say I told you so. Yeah, I told you <laughs> so. Absolutely, yeah. But I don't know whether they whether they could have guessed that she would handle the the messaging quite that badly. I mean, they mm. might have said, "Well, you shouldn't you shouldn't like go for growth at this point. We need to shore people up more." But um, I think they could have got away with it. I do if they had just like presented the facts in the right order. You know? 
There was a couple of pundits that were saying, I just got off the phone with a Tory minister who said, we're definitely done for a generation and everyone should vote Labour. I, that definitely, that phone call happened. I, I, wonder, I wonder if the, the done for a generation thing, people just need to, to, to put that on the bench. Because if you look back, the Tories in 2018 polled 9% of the European elections, won a 80-seat majority a year later. Labour, obviously hum- humbled at the 2019 election, now looking very probably the next government, probably with a decent majority. I don't know if if that old way of of parties being out for for a lifetime. If I if I you know if I could think about like what was the main news story pre the Queen dying, I don't fucking know. What was the big deal? I don't know. I think when Tony Blair got in, I think everyone instinctively felt that the Tories were down for quite a while then. But that wasn't so much because they'd been rubbish. It was because we just had enough of them. You know, I think mm. that's the thing, isn't it? You just feel well, that's exhausted our patience at that point. Mm. I don't know whether we've reached that point with this Tory administration. A generation is a is a meaningless term. They're not going to be gone for 25 years, are they? But I think that mm. you might see a couple of terms. If if Starmer comes in, if he does win in, in a couple of years' time, I think he's almost, exactly as you were saying, he's almost bound to inherit a stronger economic upsurge than we're seeing mm. at the moment, you know. And there's no better feeling than convalescence, you know. It doesn't really matter where you start from. As long as things start yeah, to yeah. get better, you get the feel-good factor, you know. So I think I've always said a lot of the reason why I drink is because I love that feeling when the hangover wears off the next morning. <laughs> the, there are a group of blokes that we'll know of, of, of a similar vintage to us that I think that their whole political project is based on feeling like they did the night Labour won in 97. They want that's what they want to do. They want to hear the old dream. Yeah. Things can only get better. They they want that moment, the similar one to when Portillo got got out is ousted in in his constituency, and it makes me realise about you know what we call politics and the debate and, and the kind of tug of, the tug of war of ideas. It isn't really that. Like it's the same with social media. A lot of what you really want is for the people that you think are dicks to look stupid. Well, you know, it's, I mean, I think it's it's a, it's been discussed from long before social media. I was reading a book um, last week, a guy called James Burnham, who was a sort of political scientist from the 40s to the 60s, and he wrote a book called The Machiavellians, which is about the history of people who speak the truth about politics and power. And, mm. and the, the key truth he, he identifies is that it's all just about being in power and having the exercise of power and, and holding on to mm. power. And any idea that you have that you're trying to you know, institute a, 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 a um, benefit of mankind or whatever, that's all secondary and it doesn't matter which side you're on, but it's very easy to forget those things. You know, that's what people want. It's a game, it's a sport. They want to trounce their enemies. They do. And, mm. and it's understandable. And, you know, harnessing that instinct um, and, and making it safe as possible, domesticating it to some extent is, is the best you can hope for. But it's the same with parenting. You just want your children to do better, don't you? You know, it's the same with, with football. You don't care. I've any No, I don't follow football, mm. but I don't think any Arsenal fan has ever gone to an Arsenal-Tottenham match and thought on the day, to be fair, Tottenham are playing better here. I hope they win, you know. They're due a win. It feels like their time. I think that we've yeah. got complacent and lazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you might think, I hope we go down 8-0 so that they absolutely sack the manager. You might just think that one match maybe. Does, yeah, yeah. You know, but you would long. rather just, just have a completely undeserved shinned-in last-minute winner exactly. despite <laughs> having played with uh, cynicism throughout, 
cheated the ref, uh, you know, risked, <laughs> risked a riot, all, all of the worst, all of the worst yeah. stuff. I mean, it's interesting what you say about, uh, you, you, you know, doing better. And, and even, even like with people's friends, a lot, a lot of, you know, what they want is they want their friends to do well, but, you know, well enough. And, and certainly what the last thing you want is for a friend that you'd sort of concluded you were always going to do slightly better than to, to have a unexpected research. It's like, it's like when someone you always thought was going to be overweight suddenly loses weight, you go, well, that is really fucked with game, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's like, I think there's a, in a similar vein, there's a, an old saying that um, all a man needs to be happy in his marriage is to be earning more than his wife's sister's husband. You know, you're, you're always you're always being compared to somebody and you might as well find out who that is and, and try and outdo them. But yeah, I mean, I have one or two friends who um, who uh, enjoyed some success, and, and I don't resent their success, but I certainly relish their occasional, however trivial, failures. You know, in second or third, <laughs> <laughs> just the occasional disastrous holiday or something. You know. So just to, just to say hello to a few new patrons. So we did do the Patreon runner was the other day. They did the accounts thing and obviously they bumped loads of people out. So some of these people are returning patrons. Some are new. Lucy Stanworth. Lucy Stanworth just feels like a girl that everybody would want to know at school. Lucy Stanworth would be pretty tough. You know, she's just likable. Lucy Stanworth. Do you know Lucy Stanworth? Lucy Stanworth's going to be at the party. Lucy Stanworth. Here it is. You know if it was like an in-betweeners type We've got a character who's the pretty girl. Lucy right. Stanworth would be that kind of girl next door name. <laughs> My wife's sister is called Lucy, so uh, that, I'm back on that track again. But yes. It's a nice name. It's a nice name. It does imply good yeah. looks. Uh, Hilary Moon. Hilary Moon is a returner, I think. Donald Thurlow. I mean, that's got to be a good name. When you were on Thurlow, was the Thurlow on Furlow? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've got Raven 40k, which just sounds like some really high risk pensions plan. Um, yeah, or possibly a video game. I don't know, is it? <laughs> or, or or a television in the year 2074, the Raven yeah, 40k. Yeah. Like, it would be so good that your eyes actually can't pick up on how good it is. I think there'll become a point of televisions <laughs> where every every improvement beyond the point uh, will be completely irrelevant. Um, and presumably what, what, the raven is because the black is really black. That's a thing they get really excited about, don't they? People who like TVs. The black How is not black is like the black. pure black. Yeah, what are you, it's one really of those black. tedious pricks that goes, what well, a lot of people don't realise what we call black isn't actually. Oh, fuck off. Um, <laughs> Martin Roof. The roof is on fire. That would be what I'd be singing to you at a stag do. Um, Sean Elliott. Sean Elliott is, uh, I mean, that's always, a, you know, I'm thinking of T.S. Elliott there. But Sean Elliott may have dated Lucy Stanworth back in the day. Sean Elliott. I think and he, Sean Elliott sounds like a bit of a tearaway. I don't know why that's making that's making But that's that's why it was such ring. a shock that he dated Lucy Stanworth. It was the yeah, first yeah. chink in Lucy's armour. It's like, well, she's really let herself down there, dating Sean Sometimes Elliott. Sometimes, though, the Sean Elliotts of this world, they travel between sort of 15 and 17, and then they just sort of get themselves in order, don't they? And maybe they Join. sort of find a mentor, and they're all right. By the time they're 20, they've got a proper job. Yeah, I mean, if Sean Elliott didn't have a spell in the army before then, it could have been Rocky. Yeah. But Sean Elliott, he went away, did a couple of tours in Iraq, came back with a bit of perspective. 
Um, and James Hawthorne, who is another returning patron. So like I say, if you want to be part of the Patreon thing, do check your accounts to make sure they're still active. Uh, we've got um, a couple of shows now. So these will be uh, free to definitely to board member and VIP patrons and hopefully as many of the other tiers as possible. So the dates are now confirmed. 25th of January. This is Jeff Norcott and Friends in at the Backyard Comedy Club in London. And then the 2nd of March... Uh, is in Leeds at the Wardrobe Theatre. So full details will be coming uh, of those soon. All right, let's get on and talk about the uh, recent race row with Rupert Huck and also a classic error by the Mirror. So let's just backtrack a bit here. Um, yep. So Rupert Huck at Labour Conference, just for people that don't know, is that she was at a, a sort of fringe meeting and um, obviously, you know, Starmer's done his best, his very level best to reassure everybody that Labour Party aren't mental anymore. And, it, you know, it was, it was a decidedly non-mental conference for them. And then uh, one of their MPs, and, and an Asian lady called Rupert Huck, said that basically um, Kwasi Kwarteng was only superficially a black man. And, uh, you know, partly because he went to a nice school and he spoke in a certain way, I guess, and he had, he had a bit of money. Um, it's just so... I mean, I, I'm trying to work out what the difference is between that and what racists would have said before. Like, if the, <laughs> the, the, a black guy was, what is he putting on airs and graces? He's pretending to be white. If you yeah. define whiteness as having money and good things in your life. I mean, in fairness, and this is where, you know, Labour are currently, they're not suggesting a, gr- a great amount in terms of what would make Britain better, but they're certainly not allowing fuck ups to sort of linger for a whole week. No, that's true. They've acted swiftly and they've got the. Uh... I think they they've got to be applauded as a, as an organisation for having recognised that that was just totally unacceptable. So identity politics, obviously, racism is an old-fashioned form of identity politics. It's existed for centuries as, as a as a kind of uh, an issue that needs resolving or improving in society. But the point is, if you're going to do a left-wing analysis, class trumps everything, right? Class is the point. It's Marxist mm. politics, and uh, and yes. Uh, Kwasi Kwarteng has benefited from private education and obviously his parents are well off and he's he's had all the benefits of uh, being brought up in a home which has uh, created a, a stable environment for him to succeed educationally and 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 suddenly they're like oh no not like that you know well it's it's kind of interesting how that is a sort of swung around to catch them in the small of the back but maybe the lesson from that is if you want to make sure that people are getting opportunities from all sections of society, if you feel like the Tories are getting some unearned credit for having elevated quasi Kwarteng to the Chancellor, to, to the Exchequer, when he is still a beneficiary of whatever, I don't know, was it Eton he went to? But anyway, you know, big private schools and so on. Then that is a kind of full circle of kind of going, yes, maybe that should then be your way of discussing what, opportunity looks like what social mobility looks like and you shouldn't necessarily focus too much on race sex gender sexual orientation etc etc what it comes down to is class are you on the inside track or not there i think labor might sort of possibly find an opportunity to rediscover its its mission a bit Do you know what i mean mm. I mean, it was it was interesting that it's one of the first times that you know, obviously she's she's an Asian lady, but it was it was described as a racist comment, you know, quite widely. Yeah. And you yeah. know, I, I saw uh, quite quickly. I noticed that people from Navara Media and the Telegraph were were um, 
<laughs> were, were apoplectic about. I thought if you've pissed off sort of Navarra at media and, and the Telegraph, I think that's a... Uh, you, you know one of those days, you know like when Prince Andrew did his interview with Maitlis, where you, yeah. you know like where the, no one thinks what you did were good. There's not. I mean, there were some people that were trying to say like because I tw- I tweeted something about, and there were some people that were trying to go. Well, what about? Oh, you know, Boris Johnson says racist stuff, and that doesn't get mentioned. Well, it doesn't get mentioned. I can hardly <laughs> go uh, yeah, dur- during his premiership. You could barely go on Twitter without seeing the words watermelon smiles, right? Yeah, so yeah. It, it, rightly, he was held to account for phrases and things that he'd used. So that was then. And this is yeah. now. I guess what they didn't like was it was politically inconvenient, right? That's what they really meant was that I don't want to talk about this now because Labour are having a good conference and and this is this is one of the the slight um, blind spots in the left's armoury is is this complacency about racism. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. And and it, 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 the left a they're definitely capable of being racist, and also it does need saying or at least acknowledging that people of all races are capable of being racist, you know, yeah. and that's something that the left has sort of been in denial about for a while as well, you know, and there's, there's a whole like explicit movement or, or argument made in America that, you know, racism is only racism when it is backed up by a, like a huge, you know, social infrastructure, you know, simply mm. saying something that's racist and hateful about another race or generalizing about a race isn't racism unless, unless you've kind of got, you know, a whole kind of legal, uh, systemic organisation entrenching mm. those views behind it. Well, hopefully, that has sort of been uh, has been uh, discredited in this on this occasion as well, because it clearly is racism to uh, assume that black men sound a certain way, and it's been exposed for the nonsense that it or, is. Or the, not just they sound a certain way, but if they don't sound that way, that that somehow compromises their blackness and yeah, and. Exactly. And speaking of which, uh, then, I mean, this was an absolute classic from the Mirror. I think it was on Saturday, was it on Saturday or Sunday, where um, there was a photo. So the story was about Quasi Quarteng and the caption said Quasi Quarteng. But the photo was, as a lot of people put it, some random black guy. It wasn't Quasi Quarteng at all. And the screenshot, unfortunately for the Mirror, the screenshot uh, at that exact moment, and I'm sure the advert changed over time, but it happened to have Black History Month. Um, (laughs) at the top and I mean in a way this is a more comical example but I mean it speaks to just as serious a thing is I mean I just don't know how that happens because at some point someone's got to essentially log a photo yeah, and and this guy was not. He's not. I don't think the guy is actually in politics. And and then it gave rise to some genuinely funny memes of people photoshopping uh, Robert Mugabe's head onto quasi, uh, this guy's body, and then and then he Gary look Lineker's like Mugabe, head. Didn't he? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Lineker always crops up. <laughs> Lineker. I mean that. I'm sorry. That joke is not going to get fu- never going to no. be uh, not I'm funny bloody, for me. So yeah, absolutely. So I guess, in a way, to sort of round off this subject, it, it, a little bit of a strange week in that the, the right had a terrible week on the economy and the left had a shocking week on race. We just a quick letter before we go. Uh, we're just going to have time for one letter, letter here, and this is from uh, Chris Gowans, who's one of my board members. And we had a bit of a running running story, uh, Simon, which was about uh, how low have you gone? Like when you've been on the road as a comic. Um, so one of mine was that I, I drank UHT milks. Um, I once I once was in an ibis. What the, the and- little pots? Yeah, yeah, I decanted like sixteen of them into a mug. It was one of the worst moments of my life, and and, and also um, I also used a car key as as a makeshift spoon to drink a Muller yogurt once. Oh yeah, because um, I, I was at an ibis in Carlisle at that 
point. So I'm yeah. just sort of interested in, in, in what people had to say. So Chris Gowans has got a story. Um, he says, I was working away and staying at a budget hotel. Of course it was a budget hotel. I've been, I've been out drinking past the time. A lot of takeaways were open. I think I was in Europe. Newark, absolutely famished. I was walking down the hallway to my room and there was a takeaway bag outside someone's room. In my drunken, hungry state, I rifled through it and opened a few empty boxes. At the bottom was an untouched kebab. Uh, it was like a gift from the gods. They'd even chose a good selection of sauces, but this was a low point. I mean, like <laughs> I've eaten um, discarded food quite recently. Actually, <laughs> we were standing outside. Um, we were going to see Les Miserables. Our good friend, our mutual friend Dominic Frisbee, had managed to get us a couple of tickets to go and see Miserable at the last minute. I was with my daughter, who's eighteen, and um, and we were standing outside waiting for Dominic to show up. And I was really starving hungry, but we didn't really have enough time to go to a restaurant or even to like mm. a McDonald's, you know, and wait up. And then it became apparent that people were arriving at the theatre trying to go in and there was a bloke on the door who was taking food off them. And, mm. and he had a place that he was putting it. It was like on top of one of those kind of junction boxes by the traffic lights, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, that, I think the understanding was you put the food there and then tramps or whatever come up and take it. Um, so I had one. I, <laughs> I, had a, I had a rat. I had half a rat that somebody had just like arrived at the theatre and gone, oh, this is fine, you know. And they put it down, and my daughter watched in horror as I unwrapped it. Oh wow, your daughter's! I mean, I, do, do you know what I like about about? I'm is a the, on that stuff. I'm terrible. I have no shame at all. I I mean, one of the things that makes me laugh is the idea of this guy saying that they had good sources on it, and you know, if they hadn't, he'd have been pissed off. I suspect that's that's the vibe yeah. I'm getting. And also, I mean, you got a rap. I immediately felt. Like for you, I felt annoyed that it wasn't something better than a rap. Like if it, yeah. if I if I debased myself in that way and I ended up with a chickpea fucking falafel <laughs> and red onion wrap. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if it had been like a whole burger or something, there would have been no question. When I was about eighteen, roughly between eighteen and twenty-five, I used to hitchhike quite a lot into Europe. I had mm. no money at all, and it was quite normal. I would do. Uh, we used to call them the cut and shut forgets. You know, you go to mm. a uh, self-service cafeterias on the continent, you know, and just scoop up whatever else people had left behind and sort of form a little meal out of it, you know. <laughs> the cut and shove again. I don't know you glorified a very masculine, yeah, massive. But that, but that was okay. I, I really think that the, the theatre one is that the. I mean, what you're lucky is that there wasn't some left-wing blogger there who, yeah. who caught the moment and go see GB News presenter. <laughs> Steals think, my, steals food off the homeless. I mean, that would have been the, steal, t- the I mean, spin. If it was stealing off the homeless, I suppose that would be bad. But is you know, I think there's a certain kind of man of the people vibe about it, isn't it? I think, I think GB yeah, I, I'm I'm not too proud. I'm not too proud yeah, to exactly. just scoop some food off the top of a bin and then everyone going, no, it's not pride. There's a certain <laughs> amount of pride that's actually fundamental <laughs> to to uh, to the sense of self. Um, listen, Simon, thank you so much for, for appearing on this week's show. I mean, people won't know what a Herculean effort it's been as I've watched you walking around the streets of London just trying to find somewhere. Avoiding noise pollution. You only notice it when you're online, don't you? That's how it is. Obviously, as ever, people need to um, get across uh, to all your social media stuff and you know f- give you a follow. And um, it's always a, a pleasure to have you on What Most People Think. Thank you, Jeff. I'll see you again soon. Cheers, mate. <laughs>